0: It was one of Xavier Delaney's favorite little jokes to play. I would walk into Xavier Delaney's classroom, his his, his teen Sunday school classroom, filled with teenagers, really, from the community here. And I would walk in, and he'd grab, he'd put that big meat paw, right, meat hook of a hand that he had around my neck. And he'd say, kids, this is my son, and they looked really confused. Because for those of you who knew Xavier Delaney as a fifty, a black man in his 50s with family originally from the South, and I as a lily white kid from the suburbs, and he'd grab me and say, this is my son. And they'd look at him like, have you finally gone mad? Have you finally and fully gone mad? And he would just laugh at their confusion and explain what it was, and I'd say, yep, this is my black dad. He was my black dad, I, I would still say to this day. What does it mean? How could Xavier Delaney identify me as his son and I as, I as his son and he as my dad when we shared so little together? You remember Xavier when he'd get up here and preach? What did he love to say? This is a family. This is a family. And I look around and I say the same thing to you today. This is a family even though we look so different. We have so many different life experiences. We come from so many different circumstances of life. In all the ways that we would be measured by ways that people are similar are different. We look very different. And yet in many ways we are so Similar, we are so alike. We are alike in what matters most. What does it mean when we say, this is my family? What do we mean when we look at someone and say, that's my brother, that's my sister, that's my son? Well, Jesus is getting to that question in Mark chapter 3 and verses 31 through 35. We're here as we continue going through the book of Mark together, and Jesus is being interrupted. He is teaching in a house and outside are his mother, Mary, and his brothers. And they ask someone to go get Jesus because they want to speak to him. And so you can just imagine the buzz goes through the room as someone comes into the room and they're crowded around Jesus and they say, Jesus, your mom and your brothers are outside and they're looking for you. Now imagine the shock When Jesus looks at them with a straight face, completely unmoved, and says, Who's my mom? Wait, wait, we just said she's outside. He said, Who's my mom and who are my brothers? And then he looked around at them. Can you imagine the moment when he's looking around at all of them seated in front of him? And he says, Behold... I can almost see him pointing or going like this. Behold, my mother and my brothers. What was Jesus meaning by that? He goes on to say in verse 35, for whosoever shall do the will of God, the same is my brother and my sister and my mother. The title of the message this morning is Kingdom family, kingdom family, because I believe that we're going to see this morning, if we take this text, truly for what it's saying, in light of scripture, we're going to see that Jesus is identifying a family that is rooted in and grounded in the kingdom that he came to set up and to reorient all of our natural obligations around the obligations of his kingdom, of which he is at the center. Kingdom, family. And let's start, first of all, by looking a little bit more closely at this interruption. First of all, this interruption. What is happening here? Well, again, notice with me in verse 31. There came then his brethren and his mother, and standing without, or outside, that's the idea, sent unto him... Calling him. So again, picture. We've been noticing as we've been going through Mark chapter 2 and 3, where Jesus goes, who follows? Crowds. A multitude, as it's been said here. And so, once again, Jesus, as he normally does, was in a house. It may be the house in Capernaum that a lot of Mark has already taken place in. Someone's been healed in. There's been teaching in. But wherever it is, he's in a house, he's teaching. And his mom and his brothers show up. Now, where have we seen them before in Mark chapter 3? Does anyone remember? Just a few weeks ago, we saw them. Go back to verse number 20 and verse number 21. Verse number 20 says, And the multitude cometh together again, so that they could not so much as eat bread. Jesus was so popular that they could not even find space to eat. It was just wall-to-wall busyness. And notice verse 21. And when his friends heard of it, they went out to lay hold on him, for they said, he is beside himself. He's gone out of his mind. Now, this word translated friends really just means those who were near to him. That's the literal translation. Those who are near to him or those who were beside him. So it could be his physical friends, but it could also be maybe even more likely his family. His family went out to lay hold on him and said, He's beside himself. He's out of his mind. Now, there are many commentators that believe this story that we're looking at today is the follow up from verses 20 and 21 that Mark tells us that his family said we got to go lay hold on him. We got to go have an intervention for Jesus. He's gone crazy. He's too busy. He's not taking care of his physical needs. He's out of his mind. We're going to go lay hold on him. And then that in our story, this is where they go out to lay hold on him. It's a very logical interpretation and only inserting in between this story about the Pharisees saying he has a devil He's casting out devils, showing the opposition against Jesus. Well, whether that's the case or not, we know at this time that Jesus' brothers didn't believe on him. John chapter 7 tells us his own brothers didn't believe on him. Now, Mary was a believer. She was a believer. We know that from the testimony of Scripture. So why would she have been going out to Jesus and saying, Jesus, come outside, I want to talk to you? Well, mothers, you know this. Wouldn't you be concerned if your child was so busy he couldn't even eat? Wouldn't you be concerned that maybe you're you're taking this a step too far, Jesus? Can, Can we come out and talk about this? But whatever the source of the conversation, here, mom and brothers have made the trip outside this house, and they're standing outside. Inside is a multitude gathered around Jesus. And notice what someone comes to him and says in verse number 32, And they said unto him, Behold, thy mother and thy brethren, your brothers, are without or outside, and they're seeking for thee. They're, they're asking for you. They're calling for you. Now, what was the expectation? What was the expectation of all these people who, who were, these people who were coming to Jesus and saying, hey, Jesus, your family's outside? What did they expect that Jesus would do? Time out, Folks. I've got to go talk to my mom. I've got to go deal with this family situation. They've made a long trip from Nazareth to come see me. I'll be right back. Let me go deal with this first. But Jesus didn't do that. In fact, he does the exact opposite of what everyone was expecting when they said, hey, Jesus, your family's outside. They're looking for you. Notice first, not just the interruption from his physical family, but notice secondly, an institution that he is going to identify. Notice what he says here in verse 33. And he answered them, the people that were coming and asking him, saying, hey, your mom and brothers are outside. He said, who is my mother or my brethren? Who is my family? Now, this must have been completely shocking, Now, if you've spent any time around Jesus of Nazareth, you must have gotten used to shocking things that he said. He said some really shocking things. Like, if you're being persecuted right now, get really excited, rejoice, be happy. Well, it doesn't make any sense. Jesus says, unless you're willing to deny yourself and take up your cross like your electric chair like the lethal injection needle, and follow me, you can't be my disciple. I mean, people just would have been used to Jesus saying things that seemed to be crazy. But this one, who is my family? Jesus, we just identified your family. They're outside. They're waiting for you. They want to talk to you. And Jesus says, who is my family? And he looked round. Look at verse 34. And he looked round about on them which sat about him. So you can imagine his gaze scanning the room to those sitting right in front of him. And he says, behold, my mother and my brethren. What is Jesus saying when he looks at them and says, behold, these right here. You're my mother. And you're my brothers. They said, no, those ones outside, they are your mother and brothers. They're looking for you. Jesus says, you, behold, my mother and my brothers. I want to suggest to you that Jesus is identifying for his audience and for us a new spiritual reality. A spiritual reality in which, as he says, those who do the will of God become family in the deepest and most important sense, even more deep and more important than physical, nuclear family. Those, he says, are my family. Now, when he says family, whose family is he talking about? Now, if you think about the way our families are structured, our families so often are structured or have been structured around a person or around, often, parents. This is even sometimes reflected in our name. My last name is Magnus Son. It's because way back when, in Scandinavian culture, your family was identified by your dad. There was a guy named Magnus. And all of his family was identified as son of Magnus. Magnus Son. John, son. You can just go, that's the way even our names have been interpreted but we have this idea of a family that is rooted around a group of people and what jesus is saying is those who do the will of god are a part of whose family god's family that's what he's talking about ephesians chapter 2 for through him through jesus we both have access by one spirit unto the father That's what he's saying. Through Jesus, we have access to the Father. And listen to what he says. Now, therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. What's he saying? The family of God. When you have access by Jesus to one Father, you have one family. Whose family? God's family. Romans 8 says, For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption. What's adoption? Entering into a family. You have been adopted into a family whereby, by this spirit, we cry, Abba, Father. The idea is of Daddy. It's a term of endearment. We are speaking to God as our Father in a comfortable, endearing term, like a young child looks at their father and says, Daddy, Daddy. That's the way we relate. We are part of God's family. Now, don't be confused about what Jesus says when he means, when he says, if you do the will of God, those who do the will of God. Don't think of this as something we work our way into the family of God. And how do we know that? Because in John chapter 6, people came to Jesus and said, what work should we do that we might work the works of God? How do we get on God's side? How do we do the things that God wants us to do? And listen to what Jesus says in John 6, 29. Jesus answered and said unto them, this is the work of God that ye believe on him whom he has sent. What is the very first step to doing the will of God? Believing believing on the one whom he sent. And what Jesus is saying, there's this new spiritual reality in which everyone who comes in Christ, by Christ to the Father, is now in one family. And friends, this is true in all the ways we think of families. What does a family mean? What is at the core of a physical family? We share a common parent. And isn't that true? when we have access by Jesus Christ through the Spirit to one Father, if you and I have the same Father, what does that make us? Brothers, sisters, we share the same parent. You say, well, families also often, not exclusively, often share the same DNA. Yeah. What about us? That old hymn says, born of the Spirit, with life from above, into God's family divine. How do you enter the family? Because you get the same DNA. Because the Spirit indwells you, bringing the very life, the very DNA, if you will, of the Son of God to be born again into God's family. You have the same parent. You have the same DNA. You say, well, a family also has a similar direction, has a similar purpose. They're a unit that is moving together toward a common goal, and we have the same thing. Jesus says, whoever is rooted around the will of God, they're identifying, they're connecting with that will of God, the will of the Father. Those are my brothers and sisters and mother. It's the exact same. Well, Then you say, Well, what's the difference between my physical family and my spiritual family? It's this your natural family will be extinguished with your death, but your spiritual family won't. Remember when they came to Jesus and they tried to trick him about saying, In the resurrection, this woman who had seven different husbands, which of them is she going to be married to when she goes up to heaven? And Jesus says, You don't understand. In heaven, they don't marry and they're not given in marriage. There's no marriage in heaven. Well, what's the foundation of the family? The parents? Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Jesus says there's not going to be marriage in heaven. Why? Because we are going to be a part of the bride of Christ who is married to the husband, to the groom. There's only one marriage in heaven, and it's between Christ and his bride, his people, the church, his called out redeemed ones. There can be no other family in heaven other than his family. Your family, as precious and as important and as valuable and as blessed as it is in this life, ends here. But us, our family, the family of God, is forever. It's how we have access to God, the Father, for eternity You see, Jesus is telling us something about a kingdom family. The only door into this family is by him. The only DNA that we can share in this family is from the spirit of God. And the unity we have in this family is in eternal unity that is ultimately rooted in doing his will, in obeying and pleasing him. Here's an interruption from Jesus' nuclear family, his physical family. They are making a claim on him. Jesus, come talk to us because I'm your mother. We're your brothers. And Jesus responds, wait a second. Who's my true family? Who's my true kingdom family? It is those who do the will of God and with whom I am eternally united. This is the institution of a kingdom family. And that means finally we need to understand something about identity. An interruption, an institution, and an identity. What does it mean to be a part of a family? What I want to suggest to you today is that so many of us naturally have an identity in our physical families now, what do, you, what do I mean in identity? I mean this. I mean, if you were just to look at me, it would be true for all of you in different ways, but if you were to look at to me, I have many identities. Maybe think about it like this. Ways that I might introduce myself to different people, it's my identity. I have an identity as an attorney. In certain circles, I am an attorney to people. They don't know me for much else. They know me because I'm an attorney. Many people know me as in my identity as a pastor, I have an identity as a father. I have an identity as a husband. I have an identity as a Minnesota sports fan. I have an identity as a musician. I have an, in different ways, I have an identity that connects into people in certain ways, and you do too. You could just go through them and have the list. And the point is this, we so easily identify ourselves according to our families. I knew this growing up. I would go out to listen to my dad speak at some conference. And do you know who I was? I wasn't Peter Magnuson. I was Roger Magnuson's son. And everywhere I went, I knew, wow, my dad's up there speaking. I better be on my best behavior. I am Roger Magnuson's son. Now, that's true for all of us. I have an identity as Roger and Betsy Magnusson's son. I have an identity as James Magnusson's brother or Sarah Van Sistine's brother. I have an identity as Lars's father, as Emma's father. I have an identity as Tabitha's husband. That's the one that reflects the best on me, by the way. She married you, you convinced her? She pleads temporary insanity. I would too. I would too. But an identity right? Tabitha's husband. Well, here's the point. Jesus' family was coming and appealing to that identity. Jesus, we're your brothers and we're your mother, so come out and talk to us. And Jesus says, wait a second. No, no, no. You've got my identity wrong, Because while I'm sitting here teaching to these people, my primary identity is being a kingdom family member. You see, I am tempted to look at my identity as my last name, as a Magnuson. And Jesus says, no, Peter, your identity is not as a Magnuson. Your identity is as a Christ follower as a member of a kingdom family. And that is your identity. You see, what relevance does this have? How does this relate to the way that I live? Turn over for just a second to 2 Corinthians 5. I think this is going to be really, it's been really helpful to me. We're going to look here at One of the most famous verses in all of our Bible, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. So many of you could quote that. It's been a meaningful verse to you. Do you know what it actually means in context? Let's look at it. Look at verse number 14. Paul is defending his ministry and says, for the love of Christ constrains us, it it commands us because we thus judge that if one died for all, who died for all? Jesus. If Jesus died for all, then we're all dead. What he's saying is this. If Jesus died for you, that means you were dead. You were dead, not physically. You were dead spiritually spiritually. Now notice verse 15. And that he died for all, that they which live, who's that? You and me, we are alive. That they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Now listen to the logic. If Jesus died for you, that means you're dead. But if by dying for you, you became alive, what's your moral obligation to live not for yourselves, because you were dead, but to live for him who died for you and then came to life again. So that's the logic. Are you with me so far? Notice in verse 16. Wherefore, henceforth, from that point, he's saying, know we... No man after the flesh. We don't know anyone after the flesh. Yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. You say, what on earth is he talking about? He's saying this. If you were dead, and Jesus died for you, and you became alive, the logic of that says that from this point, You don't identify with anyone after the physical, material, bodily form. You don't know anyone after the flesh. You were dead. Your identity is spiritual, not physical, because Jesus died. He gave his physical identity so that you could have a new spiritual identity and therefore live according to your spiritual identity. We don't know anyone after fleshly identities anymore he said in fact notice though we have known christ after the flesh yet now henceforth know we him no more you say what does he mean do you know there were people when paul was writing this who knew jesus personally they knew what he looked like they knew what his voice sounded like they knew how he talked They were even his family members, like James and Jude, who later came to Christ after his resurrection. What is he saying? He says, they don't know Christ anymore. You say, how do you know that? Because look at James and Jude, Jesus' half brothers, who wrote epistles. And not once do they identify themselves as, hey, I'm the half brother of Jesus. You think that might have given people some credibility in the early church? Hey, guys, I'm Jesus' brother. No, do you know what they called themselves? When they wrote their epistles, they said, we're the slaves of Christ. We serve him. We're not his half-brothers according to the flesh. We are his kingdom family, not his physical family. And so what is he saying here very practically? We don't know anyone after the flesh. Think about this. How is the way that we know each other? We are all naturally dividing along the identities of the flesh. What has been happening in in, in our society over the last several years? We have people identifying by politics. I'm a Republican. Well, yeah, I'm a Democrat. We have people dividing along the basis of their skin color. I am this ethnicity. I am this one. I'm going to identify here. I'm going to identify with this group. I'm going to identify with this sports team. I'm going to identify with this career. And it's tearing us apart. Naturally, it is. Because we are identifying according to the flesh, to our physical characteristics. And Paul is saying, that's not how we do it. Why? Notice what comes next. Verse 17. Therefore... This is the logic. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. What is the context? You have all kinds of physical, fleshly, bodily identities, but that's not your identity. If you're in Christ, you are a new creation old things, your old identities, your physical, bodily, material identities are passed away and all things are become new. Like what? Your family, your kingdom family, everything has become new. Friends, this church, by God's grace, isn't going to divide on identities. We're not gonna divide on politics. We're not gonna divide on race. We're not going to divide. We're not going to be set apart in ways by our particular identities that the world wants to place upon us because we have a kingdom family that transcends how the world knows each other. We say, we're new creatures. We're new creations. Are we going to listen to each other? Are we going to humbly learn from each other? Are we going to submit to one another? You bet. That's what we're going to do. But old things are passed away. Our old identities are passed away. Everything is become new because Christ died and rose again. That's who we are. That's what our identity is. Now, I want to be very clear. Does that mean that Jesus came to sever, to cut, your natural family bonds? Did he come to destroy your natural family obligations? And the answer is no. In fact, we know this. In Mark chapter 7, we'll get here in a few chapters Jesus harshly criticizes the Pharisees because they were evading the commandment of God to care for their earthly parents. They were using their tradition to get around God's command to provide for their elderly parents. And Jesus says, you're you're rejecting the commandment of God by your tradition. Does Jesus say, well, I've got a kingdom family. I don't need to take care of mom anymore. No. No. In fact, on the cross, when Jesus was at his greatest suffering, he looked at his disciple John and he says, Behold your mother. And he looked at his mom and says, Behold your son. He cared for his mother's physical needs even in his own death. Do not think for a moment That Jesus came so that we could evade our obligations to care for our physical nuclear family. In fact, Paul goes so far as to say in 1 Timothy 5 that if anyone doesn't care for those of his family, and he says particularly of his household, those living in your house, he said if you don't care for them, you have denied the faith. The faith, our Christian faith says, care for your physical family, for your nuclear family. So don't think for a moment that's what Jesus is saying. He's not. But what is he saying? He is coming to reorient all of your obligations around himself and his kingdom. You say, what do you mean? Well, I mean what Paul means when he says, husbands, love your wives. Why? Because Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Wives, submit to your own husbands as unto the Lord. You say, what do you mean? I mean that our obligations to our physical family is not centrally because I share their last name. It's because I am in the kingdom and God's will, God's obligation is to care for them. I'm not finding my identity in my earthly family. I'm not finding my idolatry in my earthly family, but I am caring for them because God has told me to as a member of his kingdom you see it reorients everything around my relationship with god through jesus christ you say why is this so important it's so important because so many christians some probably sitting here have felt so deeply when they came to jesus christ their family relationships ended Now, for those of us who grew up in Christian families, that seems very difficult to fathom because we grew up and our parents were cheering for us to follow Jesus. Come on, when we followed Christ and were baptized, there was a celebration. But some of you are sitting here and you're saying, that wasn't me. When I came to Christ, I lost a mother. When I came to Christ, I lost a brother. And friends, that has been the dominant reality For much of the Christian church, people came to Jesus and they had to choose Jesus or mom, Jesus or brother. Now, do you see why it's so important that Jesus re-centralized everything about our physical families in the kingdom? This is why he could say things like this. A man's foes, a man's enemies shall be they of his own household. He that loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Do you let those words resonate inside you? Who do you love? Is your physical family bonds rooted in your last name? Or are they rooted in a love and devotion to Jesus Christ and him alone? Jesus says in Luke 14, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. You said those are harsh words. And of course Jesus didn't mean true hatred. He's talking about identity If your identity is in anything but Jesus Christ, you cannot be his disciple because the kingdom life reorients everything around the king and around our devotion and loyalty to him and to everyone else who does the will of God. C.T. Studd, the great missionary, was... A a, a, a British man, he was one of the star athletes of his day. He was an incredibly wealthy man. He was privileged going to one of the finest schools in England. And God called him to leave it all behind, give away virtually every last penny that he had, leave behind his athletic career, leave behind his privileged upbringing, and go to be a missionary. And the story that that is told of him is that his family deeply opposed him. His family tried to persuade him. It said that his brother said, if you go, you will break your mother's heart. You will break your mother's heart if you go. And it said that C.T. Studd that night was thinking on Psalm 2. He could not get Psalm 2 out of his mind where God promises that I will give you the heathen for your inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth for your possession. And C.T. Studd said, I must go. I must go. Why? Because he knew that doing the will of God in keeping with his kingdom family was his sole identity. It was what God had called him to do. Now what does this mean for us? I want to suggest just a couple things for us. First of all, I hope this is a source of comfort for you a source of comfort. If you're here today and your family has left you behind, some of your most precious relationships have been severed or strained because of your commitment to Christ, listen to what Jesus is saying to you today. Notice what he said to those people. He said to them, behold, my brothers, my mother. In other words, this is an invitation. Jesus says to you, Your family may leave, but do you want to be my family? Do you want to be my brother? Do you want to be my sister? Welcome to my family. And the great comfort for those who have been abandoned by their own family for the cause of Christ is that they have a family in which Jesus is the eldest brother and his father is your father and my father. What a comfort. But secondly, it's a challenge. It's a challenge to all of us. It's a challenge particularly to those of us whose families overlap, if you will, with the kingdom family. To those of us who have the privilege and the blessing of having our extended family by and large be believers, our children or our loved ones, we are in that nuclear family that is centered around the kingdom. Praise God for that. But what is our challenge? Our challenge is that your identity in your last name can become your idolatry. Your identity in your family heritage can be that which distracts from your identity as a member of God's kingdom family. You say, how? Because sometimes we can choose very unwittingly our love for them, even over our love for Jesus Christ, when the comfort, the very natural and good comfort we experience in our nuclear family becomes what draws us away from God's calling in terms of his kingdom and doing the will of God. Beware, lest your identity become your idolatry. I'm not saying don't provide for your physical family. That's part of your kingdom obligation. Fulfill it with all your heart and with everything that God has called to do, but never let it become your identity or your idolatry. But there's one more challenge. It's this. If it's a comfort for those to leave behind their family for the cause of Christ, this place needs to become a family for them. It's one thing for those of us who have family here at Gate Church to find our comfort in our family. But we need to recognize that there are people here at this church who have no such comfort. They have no such other source of identity. There is something necessary in the community of the family of God that they desperately need. I've told this story before, I'll tell it again. A pastor saw a man, a young man, saved out of a gang. And this young man was saved, he was baptized, he was just on fire for what God was doing in his life. And then one day he just kind of drifted away and stopped. And this pastor went to talk to him, and he said, what happened? What happened? And the young man said, you know, I guess I just made a mistake. He said, I thought this was going to be like the gang. I thought it was going to be like something every day. I didn't know it was just a Sunday thing. I didn't know it was just a Sunday thing. Do you know what everyone is looking for in this life? They're looking for identity and they're looking for community. What are gang members looking for? An identity and a community who shares their identity. What are those young, disaffected men who are pursuing political radicalism and even violence today, what are they looking for? They're looking for identity and they're looking for community and they're finding it in political radicalism. What are anyone around our world looking for? They're looking for something to identify with and they're looking for people to share it with. And friends, the devil always counterfeits what's true. The devil always gives people alternatives, and he gives them alternatives that are destroying their soul. And God says, You want identity? It's in my kingdom. Find it in me. And you want community? Yeah, there's a kingdom family that's ready to embrace you with open arms. Identity, community. When people come in to these doors at Straight Gate Church, may they find people whose identity is solely in Jesus Christ, not in their physical family, not in their work, not in their sports, not in their hobbies. May they find their identity in Jesus Christ solely and may they find a community of people who are ready to open their arms to them as well. Listen to those words of Jesus. Who is my family? Who is my family? Who is my mother? Who are my brothers? And he looks at us and he says, Behold, my mother and my brothers. That's why Xavier Delaney could have a white son and I could have a black dad. That's why Xavier Delaney could say to us, This is family. May each of us live out our kingdom family obligations let's pray father we thank you behold my mother and my brothers what an incredible what an incredible identity we have that we should be called the children of God the children of God and what a remarkable community we have that by the Holy Spirit we can be united not not in shared culture, not in shared political views, not in shared race or socioeconomic or educational status, but a community that is identified solely in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I pray, Father, that those in this church that we would embrace our identity in Jesus Christ and him alone. God forbid that I should glory, that I should boast in anything except for the cross of Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray as well that you would continue to form in deeper ways this community, this family that you have given us to invest in.